Hey, welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of the Canadian Jewish News Podcast. I'm Alex Rose, your co-host. And I'm Michael Freeman. And we're joined today by Ella Berkowski. She is our operations manager at the CJN, an advice columnist, and the author of the Holocaust book, Hitting Gold. She has worked here for 40 years as of last August. Hi. Thanks for inviting me. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is the cover story on our latest edition, written by Ron Selag, who you might remember from our last episode. And it's investigating why the Canadian Union of Postal Workers has been so anti-Israel over its long history. Next up, we're going to chat with Ella about uh, her more than two decade long column, Ask Ella, which she's been writing in the CJN, and uh, get a little bit of insights uh, into the publication's history because she's been here for 40 years. Yeah, I've been here a long time. (laughs) And finally, we ask, do Jews really need to worry about this? about a group of students from a Jewish high school in Toronto who met former Trump aide Sebastian Gorka. The first story we're going to be talking about is the curious story of how Canada's postal worker union came to publicly disdain the Jewish state. Basically, the uh, uh, Canadian Union of Postal Workers uh, last summer staged this big protest outside the headquarters of, uh, of, of B'nai B'rit uh, Canada, uh, Ella, you were there. I was there. I was at it. It's a, it was at the B'nai B'rith building on Hove Street. Right. And across the street, uh, the, the Postal Worker Union was there. They were um, protesting with BDS, Free Palestine, anti-Israel signage. And it just it raised a whole question, which is, what is a postal union doing involving itself with Middle Eastern politics? What's interesting in, in Ron's very extensive cover story, which is, is probably a, a definitive piece written about this very niche subject, um, is there's not even a very good reason for it. <laughs> Sorry. I think that's what's kind of strange about this whole thing. It basically harkens back to uh, uh, almost seems like one guy who was quite far left and, and he rose through the ranks of the Canadian Union of Postal, Postal Workers. And just because it aligned with so many other values of the left-leaning labor union, uh, it, it became this kind of, of what, what would you describe it? It just became a, a, a part of their mission statement almost. Yeah, it seemed like they just kind of had a bundle of political causes and eventually with the way their politics progressed, this was just another cause that fit into the bundle along with the rest of them. I mean, part of those causes were fighting for things like better pay and maternity leave, which, according to Ron's article, set the standard for maternity leave among federal workers in Canada. Mm -hmm. Raised it to 17 weeks, yeah. Yeah, and I guess somewhere along the way, the man uh, that you were talking about, whose name is Jean-Claude Perrot, probably Perrot, but it's spelled like (laughs) Perrot. So Perrot, who Ron quoted, someone heard him say, um, back in the 70s, that he's been called a communist, a Maoist, a Trotskyite, a Leninist, a Marxist, but never a progressive conservative and never a liberal. And I'm very proud of that. So this is the man who had a big leadership role in the postal union for a long time. And it seems like he might have had an inordinate amount of influence, but also that the postal union seems to have wanted to go that way. And if I may say, back in, in those days, in the 70s, the postal union had a lot of power because we didn't have the internet for bills or to receive checks or online banking or any of that stuff. So if you were waiting for a a payment or a check, um, they held all the cards in those days, so they could pretty much do whatever they wanted. We couldn't 
uh, we couldn't maintain a postal strike for any length of time in the 1970s. Ella, you just told us in this room a few minutes ago that you were actually at the protest. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like? It, it was a little bit underwhelming. Um, it wasn't that many people. Uh, when I was there anyways, um, there was people on one side of Hove Street, some people on the other side of Hove Street. There were police in the middle of Hove Street keeping them apart, and everybody was sort of like screaming things at each other. And uh, But really, it, it, was, it wasn't, uh, it was peaceful as far as nobody was violent, but they were screaming things, you know, you know, throw Israel into the sea, you know, whatever that saying is. And uh, that's that's pretty much how it was. I didn't stay that long, maybe half an hour, and then I left. How many people would you say on, were on either side? I don't know, maybe, say, 30. I've been to a, a couple of these as well. I think, uh, you know, once you work at the Canadian Jewish News, it, you, it's, it's your job to go to these. And uh, it sounds a lot like all of them. <laughs> it wasn't a lot. Because what, what's the end outcome? It's just, it's showing solidarity on both sides. You yell some stuff, you shout at the other side, uh, you get out of your system, you go have lunch. That's about it. I, I went because I wanted to show my solidarity and I wanted, I was curious, you know, I was just curious. What, and it was, I, I was a little upset because they were infiltrating my part of town. I mean, the Bathurst and Shepherd is my part of town. Get out of here. <laughs> you know, that's One how might I say, felt. Uh, all of Canada is the Postal Union's part of town. Yeah, but not Bathurst and Shepherd. <laughs> Certainly an unusual location for a protest like that. The Union also, I think was the first major one to endorse BDS back in 2008. And they've just kind of been the standard bearer for a lot of Canadian organizations who are following in a similar political direction. But they're still delivering mail to Israel. Something that you said earlier as well that I think is uh, very true beyond just the scope of this particular story is the, the concept of, the, of, of people, to be honest, on both political sides, but in this case on the left, um, bundling up issues together. And it's like when you become a member of a certain political party or, or you align yourself with a certain side, you subscribe to everything that's on that side, right? You become anti-gun, you become uh, pro-choice, you become... A feminist in a, however you define that you and and you become pro BDS among a number of other things um, and there's a there's a bundle for the right as well uh, just to be clear but I'm, I'm just because we're talking about this I'm not gonna go into that but I, I, I just find that the way that that BDS and the Palestinian movement and, and Israel has this outsized role in uh, the activism uh, of, of, of people in this when it's by all practical accounts, very irrelevant to their day-to-day jobs. Uh, one of the first things Ron wrote, I think, in the second uh, graph here is, is somebody, one of the protesters shouted at, at the postal workers, why don't you just deliver the mail? Uh, which is a good point, right? I mean, and I'm not to say that they can't protest. In If there is a BDS rally going on, they're allowed to have, uh, you know, all, all of them can, can have uh, uh, their, their anti-Israel sentiments and they can go to these protests. But when the union itself starts to try to encompass this and represent it uh, uh, on behalf of all 50,000 plus postal workers, it becomes a little bit disingenuous. And and the article also goes into that by speaking with a number of formal postal union employees uh, or, or postal workers um, who were Jews and who hated this, who, 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 who couldn't stand it and who wrote to the leadership and they didn't do anything. Um, and I think that's a general problem with 
politics in general, unfortunately, is you, you have to sign up to this, uh, this bundle package that you don't really, you know, you don't watch half the channels, but you still pay for them. Yeah, I think um, the sense I've gotten, and Ella, maybe you can let me know if this sounds right, but I, it seems that politics has gotten a lot more polarized over the last few decades, certainly since I've become involved in it. I saw somewhere in the 1980s, uh, the average partisan voter in the United States was less partisan than the average independent voter is now. I, I don't know. Back back then, I, I didn't. Maybe it's I, social media has played a very big role in how um, angry politics has become. I, I find it so angry now. And it fuels, it fuels the fires. And, and people put things on social media that are, uh, that start arguments and start fires, and we didn't have that back then. So you didn't you didn't get the feeling that people weren't always working together. Um, that's that was my feeling from back then to now. Social media plays a huge role in separating parties and separating people, in causing rifts in families. Even it, it's a problem. It's part of actually my Passover column that's coming up next week. Uh, which you'll you'll read about, but that's that's a problem. Should we say? Should we use that as the segue? <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, Ella, one of the reasons I, I wanted to have you on is because you are a, a uh, fountain of great stories and knowledge about the CJN, and so I wanted to ask you and life and life <laughs> as uh, evidenced in your column. Ask Ella, which you write. What is it? Once a month. Once a month now. Once a month for the CJN. Used to be once a week, and then. T- once every uh, twice a month, and now it's once a month. So, uh, how how you started about twenty four years ago? You said yes. In nineteen ninety five, I wrote my first column, which was not that popular, but okay. Uh, uh, how did it start? It was actually um, it started quite by accident because in in our old office, my desk was very centralized in the office, and people used to stop at my little area. Uh, it was pretty secluded my area and they used to stop there to chat and tell me their problems and I always give them my opinions and Paul Lungan our reporter was one of those people he wasn't married back then and he always needed information about dating and what to buy his girlfriend as a present who's his wife today she thanks me all the time for her presence by the way and um, he's gotten much better at it um but yeah, so, so Paul thought, you know what, since you're doing this anyways, how about you be the, the official Ann Landers of the Canadian Jewish News? So he went to speak to our editor, then Mordechai Bendat, who thought, let's give it a try, and the rest is history. So I had no writing experience at all, no experience of, of anything other than just yenting, you know, so... That's how Ask Ella came to be. You said it wasn't very, very popular at first. My first c- column was sexist. <laughs> and What'd what do say? I know from sexist? <laughs> it was about, I, I, I don't remember exactly what it was about, but something about um, uh, a, some lady who was upset with, because there were, there were bugs or something, and she always had to call her husband to kill the bugs. And I know I got a couple of letters from, from females that, complain that you know they kill their own bugs and like it was ridiculous but you know okay so whatever I learned from that and did you advise the woman to always 
call her husband? Oh, or honest what? to God, I don't remember what, what I advised her, but that was the first column. But after that, it was really smooth sailing, and I got all I get all kinds of questions. I get them, I get them in writing. I get them by email. I get them by snail mail. I get them standing in line at United Bakers. I get them in funerals and shivas. I get them in a bathroom. I get them at lineups at the Toronto Jewish Film Festival. I get them everywhere. So people really recognize you. I guess maybe from my picture, people do recognize me from my picture. And now for my voice as well. So what have been some of your favorites over the years? Well, I, I, I had one not that long ago. It's probably a couple years ago now that, that caused a stir. And it was about um, this guy who was dating. He was, he was just dating this woman, and he liked her. And they had gone on a few dates together. And um, they decided they would try and do something different. So they decided they would cook a meal together. And that's how they would get to know each other. So they went grocery shopping. And as, as they were pushing the buggy together, I don't know who was pushing the buggy, she started tasting. She picked a grape and tasted it. She took something else and tasted it. She went one, down one of the aisles and opened a bag of cookies and started eating it. And he was horrified. He was absolutely horrified. He said she was stealing, and he thought that this was just horrendous. So um, he, I think they ended up making that meal, but I don't think he dated her again. So he wanted to, he, he wrote it. Very rarely do I get a man writing in. It's usually a woman who writes in, but this was a guy. And um, he wanted to know if I thought that that, that was okay what she did. Uh, so then I wrote an answer, which I actually have here because I don't remember it. Can you, can you read us a bit of it? Yeah. I said, I just basically told him that lots of people sample food, foods before they buy them in the supermarket. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of supermarkets actually uh, account for that. They're lost leaders. They just account for that. And some, some supermarkets actually provide samples for people to try. And that it's not the end of the world, and he doesn't need to like not date her anymore. He can let her know that he's not comfortable with it. But you know, there's much more serious things, and to give the relationship a little bit more of a a try, a little bit more of a chance. And people started writing and saying that you're condoning stealing, and that's not right, and it it, it made it. People started talking about that. Wherever I went, people were saying, I read your column, I couldn't believe it, you know, things like that. What was that like for you? I I like it. I don't mind I don't mind the controversy. It, for me it's fun. I enjoy it. Did you have people who worked at supermarkets giving you uh, uh you know evil eyes as no, you passed no, pass to the aisle? No. And and another column which I had a big argument with somebody in this office who no longer works here. Um, they quit over that column? No, but Another two opinionated people didn't get along here was what is the going rate for a uh, wedding gift? That was oh god, <laughs> uh, or a bar mitzvah, but mitzvah gift. So he didn't like my answer at all. When I was a kid, it was eighteen dollars. Yeah, now well, it's, it's not anymore. Double that, triple. So I don't know. no, no. 
it's way more than that. <laughs> really? That's the go- oh, geez. That's, it's way more than that. So he di- he didn't like my answer, and I said to him, "You know what? It's my column. I'm writing this. This is this is really the going rate these days. Maybe not in everybody's circles, but amongst most of our readers or many of our readers, it's the going rate." Wait, what is? I'm sorry, what is the going okay, rate? Okay, so the going rate these days per couple is probably between 300 and 350. I'm no. not looking forward to seeing my friends get married now. But what if you I was just, so excited. What if you just don't have that much money? Okay, if you don't have that much money, you give whatever you can give. But you have to judge on who this is, first of all. Is it just an acquaintance or is it a relative? Is it is it somebody very close to you? Is it not? But remember, I, I, I was writing this at the time for the readership that was reading our paper, which was a established, um, older readership, um, more along the lines of the parents of the people getting married rather than the people who are getting married. Okay, so say the people who are getting married, their friends are not going to give three, three or three fifty, but their parents would. So, you know, it, it runs the gamut, and I did make the allowances in the column, but. Unfortunately, that is that is the going. Makes rate. sense. Uh, how do you choose which questions to follow up on? What what's a good question for you? Uh, I choose the questions based on if I think that people will identify with it. If I think people will identify with the question, then I'll I'll write the question in the, in the column. Sometimes people will send a question in that's very single minded, and I'm not going to. And if I'm not going to write about that. And sometimes I will get a question that's very serious, like say something like elder abuse or something like that. I will write to the person directly and give them an organization or a name or somebody that they need to contact, and that won't go in the paper either. So it needs to be almost on the level of observational comedy. Yeah, almost, yeah. Yeah, it has to be a life of a life situation, something that people will will identify with. What's the strangest question that you've ever received? Strangest question that I've ever received. Uh, oh boy, I had one. I don't um, I had one and I think you guys I, I read it to you guys about um, I, and I have to read it because it's a riot, but it has the word masturbation in it. That's fine. Yeah. This is a podcast. Well, I don't know. Can I read it directly? Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. Riot. I, it didn't go in the paper. Though. Ella, I haven't stopped recording. We're still going. Still no, no, no. Okay, let me just find this really quickly. Would you like me to read it for you? No, I don't mind reading it. I just wasn't sure if you could do that. Oh, you could. Yeah, there's no. This isn't uh, CBC. So I'm going to read it to you, but I didn't write this in the paper. Dear Ella. I'm a 49-year-old single gay conservative Jew who likes to dress up, sweatshirt, jeans, boots, and masturbate at least once a day in my bed. Do I have a problem, or is this considered normal behavior? Does Judaism frown on such activities? Do I need to consult with a psychologist? So I, th- I thought this was a joke. I, I did, and I didn't answer it. I didn't answer the person. So many details. And I, and it does seem a little pranky. I thought it was a prank, right? And then a few days later, I got another email, and it said, I haven't heard from you yet regarding my query below. So I decided I better answer this person. So I said, 
Wearing a sweatshirt, jeans, and boots does not sound extreme to me. As for your masturbation routine, please check with your doctor or rabbi. And I left it at that. Or rabbi. <laughs> um, well, he asked about if it was okay in Judaism. Absolutely. Uh, that that is, is a weird one. That is an odd that's one. A, it, that definitely could go... That's that's the kind of thing that it's, it's, it's like it could be a prank or it could be a guy with an actual mental illness, in it which case be. laughing is uh, a horrible thing to do, Alex. How dare you? <laughs> I was just laughing audibly. I'd like the record to shout. You seemed at least a little scandalized, Michael, if not amused. Well, it's a funny series of words. <laughs> <laughs> um, to what extent has this helped like, shape you and your actual personal opinions and, and you know, helped focus you? Well, it's, it's taught me a lot about, A, writing, for starters. I, I'm, I was never a writer, and I ended up being a published author, so ne I never took a writing course. Um, that was the biggest shock of all. I, I find that I, I, I write like, a, like I think, so whatever is on, in my mind, I write down. I try not to censor it too much, and uh, my opinions are... are were formed a long time. I'm opinionated. There's no way I, I, there's no ands, ifs, or buts. I'm opinionated. That's just who I am. But I'd like to think that I have common sense. And um, I think that's why the column is popular because people identify with it. And most of the time they agree with the answers. It is, it is nice. I think maybe one of the reasons it's become successful is because our, our readership does uh, skew older, skew a little bit more conservative um, socially and, and politically. Uh, I think you are also there, but some of your columns are, are kind of refreshingly socially progressive or, or at the very least open. It's kind of, you know, even even the one you, you cited before about, about stealing the grapes and the cookies, right? It's give it a shot. Don't just don't just shut the door have a little faith, give it a try. And if it doesn't work after, you know, it's that kind of openness that I think is kind of a, a refreshing change for all the, the cynicism and, and established opinions that a lot of people, certainly a lot of Jews have. Shall we mosey on to our final segment? So today we're asking uh, on our final segment, do Jews really need to worry about this? Um, we've got this, this story that you wrote about, Alex, so I'm going to let you guide this one. So there was a group of students from Tannenbaum Chat a Hebrew Day School in Toronto, a Hebrew Day School High School in Toronto, and they went to the APAC conference to participate in a contest there. And while there, they saw a talk by Sebastian Gorka. He was not an official APAC speaker, but it was part of NCSY Youth Programming, the American NCSY, not the Canadian one. Can, can you explain APAC and NCSY very quickly? Yeah, so APAC is the American Israel Political Action Committee, and NCSY is... Like National Counf Council of Synagogue Youth. I was a member. <laughs> so they went to the conference, mm -hmm. but they also did some stuff uh, like the Sebastian Gorka stuff, which, which was not part of the APAC conference, but part of this. It was official youth programming around the APAC conference, but program. it wasn't scheduled by APAC. Sure. And so it turns out Sebastian Gorka, um, more recently, people may know him for being part of Trump's cabinet for a short while before he left after about half a year. And he appeared on Fox News until earlier this month, and among other things, he has taken some very strong pro-Zionism stances and stances against anti-Semitism, which is what he was speaking to the students about when they saw him speak over the weekend. But when he was working for Trump, people uncovered a lot of ties that he had with far-right political movements in Hungary that had a lot of anti-Semitic elements. So he wrote for a newspaper that 
published anti-Semitic articles and published Holocaust deniers. He started a political party with members of the Jobbik party that has a lot of anti-Semitic elements. And he was part of an anti-government coalition. He was doing communication work for them and translation work for them. And one of their leaders, for example, wanted to expel Jews from Hungary. So, so this is a guy who has not in his career done anything explicitly anti-Semitic, but he keeps, at, le- at least a decade ago, he was working and he built his reputation on people who were outwardly anti-Semitic, outwardly Holocaust deniers. So that, is that, that's the case? Yeah. And so he has never explicitly said anything anti-Semitic himself. He now works against anti-Semitism. And this is who the students saw speak and met after. And people found out about it because the teacher who took them on the trip posted about it on social media, pictures of her with Sebastian Gorka and with the students. You don't know how the students reacted, did you? Was there any word on that? No, I don't. I, when I wrote the story yesterday, they hadn't returned yet. Um, they hadn't gone back from the trip? No. They're still in New York? Yeah. So so the, the gist of it is is all, a bunch of parents and alumni are now furious at chat. Chat is, has apologized, kind of. They've, they've censored, essentially, the teacher who did it. They say, let us do the PR on this. Please stop posting on Facebook. Take down your posts, which she has. She didn't talk to you for the story. No, she referred me to the head of school. What, what do you think is the issue here? I think the issue is, well, first of all, I think it's wonderful that the teacher um, took the initiative to take her class to this APAC um, meeting because I think that is what they're going to remember. I don't think they're going to remember that they, they met Sebastian Gorka for two seconds to well, take now a they picture will. with him. <laughs> now they will because everybody's made such a big deal about it. But had they left it all alone, I don't. I think it would have just been a, a nothing. I think it would have been an absolute nothing. And um, I understand that chat has to uh, step up and, and say what they did. And that's only because she posted the photos. And this fellow is obviously uh, very controversial. And he stands for things that a lot of people don't don't agree with. So I understand that that's the right thing for, for chat to do. I don't know that his stance is that set from one decade to the next or from one campaign to the next. He, he strikes me as a bit of a mercenary for hire who swims in right-wing circles. Um, for him, I don't think, again, just to sort of close the, the door on whether or not he's an anti-Semite, I don't think he cares one way or the other because I think he just works for right-wing people. And in America, being right-wing means being pro-Israel. And in Hungary, being right-wing means means uh, Holocaust denial and, and get the Jews out uh, and stuff like that. Like, like it's just, it's a different association with Judaism depending on, on where you are. But I I don't think he cares about Jews. I think he's a bit of a political opportunist. And I'm, frankly, uh, I just think he, he was there. I mean, right, he wasn't even part of the APAC thing. He's just kind of trying to drum up attention for himself and align himself with certain circles. That's very that's very possible, and you know that's probably what he's been trained to do. And I believe he also uh, worked for Fox News, right? Like, yeah. I, I think so too, which is also um, a, a station that not everybody loves. Some people either love Fox or they hate Fox. You either love CNN or you hate CNN. So you're right. He was probably like a, a you know it was a political opportunity for him to be there. Um, she saw, an, uh, you know. She, for, she may have taken a picture with anybody who she thought was 
um, interesting and, and famous. Well, no, she wrote in the Facebook post like, "So pleased to finally meet the the oh, wonderful, brilliant, the brilliant Honored to finally meet the great, the great Doctor Sebastian Gorka." Yeah, so so she's ah. she's a fangirl. That's so which she, is that's so fine. She knows oh, yeah, who he is. Okay. I uh, um, I don't expect the teacher will listen to this, but she might be surprised to hear me say that I have some sympathy for her in this situation because she went to this sanctioned event by the NCSY, a well-known Jewish organization, and. I'm still working on confirming this. I wasn't able to speak to the teacher. The head of school didn't answer one way or the other when I asked if the itinerary was set and the school knew they would be seeing Dr. Gorka speak. But from what I've gathered so far, I think there probably was an itinerary, and I don't think the school um, was totally caught by surprise that they were seeing Dr. Gorka. I think they just didn't know who he was. And and so the school knew they were going to be seeing this person, and now all of a sudden there's outrage erupting against her. Um, she did double down on it, but I don't think anybody wants their reactions when they're caught in a flame war to be the sole way that we judge them. So whatever she believes politically and however she feels about Gorka, um, it, it does seem like she might feel like she was set up to be attacked with just with the way events transpired. Did it strike you as something that is, is this the, the, the teacher's politics infiltrating the school and the curriculum? Cause that's, that's partly what it seemed like people were. So that is over. what people were partially alleging and I think that it's possible that occurred, but there's enough plausible deniability in the fact that it was sanctioned by a legitimate Jewish organization and the school probably knew about it beforehand, that at the very least, it's not like she did this secretly, it's not like she was a lone wolf, and it's not like the school tried to censor her beforehand and then she still did it. The other, the other aspect of this is uh, uh, the, the legitimacy of parents to get upset that their kids, uh, their teenage kids, these are... I don't know how old they were, Alex, um, 16, 17. Yeah, high school students. Uh, the legitimacy of parents getting upset that their 16-year-old kids are hearing an hour-long lecture that they personally disagree with. I don't think they even disagree with the lecture, though. I think they just disagree, disagree with, the, with the person. And Sure. So so, I, what, what do you think, Al? I, I think this is a teaching moment. Um, I think that Kids need to be able to make up their own minds. I think you need to give them information on both sides of the spectrum and, and trust them to make up their minds. Trust that you as a parent raised them well enough and instilled the values in them that will lead them to make up their minds in the right direction as far as what you taught them. This can be very much a teaching moment I, I, I don't think, really, I don't think what she did was so terrible. And um, I understand that there's a lot of politics involved from the school perspective. You know, the parents are angry and the, and the school has to manage that. But really, in the grand scheme of things, this is really, in my opinion, not so terrible. So Jews don't need to worry about this. Alex, do you think you need to worry about I'd at least like this? to give an argument for why Jews would need to worry about it, which is that, um, and I don't actually know how I feel about this yet. And even if I did, I probably wouldn't give a concrete answer having written this article about it. You have to be objective. Well, that's very professional. I, but I wouldn't say that, but I would say... You're putting on a different hat here. Yeah. I think uh, from reading different responses to my article and to, to the school statement, some people feel that just the fact that a Jewish organization is willing to overlook this man's past anti-Semitic history. And he has come out and said he's against anti-Semitism, but not against the specific 
organizational links that he has, and there are a number of them. So it's not just one thing somewhere in his past, but this is a substantial part of his life. And people might say, it's not enough to just support Israel now when you supported and worked very closely with anti-Semitic people in the past. It's about denouncing those movements. And I think really what this has shown me is people on the left and right, as Deborah Lipstadt, the historian and academic who I interviewed about anti-Semitism a month or two ago said, she said, people on the left don't see anti-Semitism as much on the left and people on the right don't see it on the right. If the same accusations were made about Ilan Omar, I think some people who consider themselves more on the left would have defended her more and people on the right who are defending Gorka would have totally piled on. But I think what's interesting is when you frame it as a left-wing, right-wing debate, you miss a lot of people in the middle who would be mad at both of them for having these kind of anti-Semitic associations. So people on the right are trying to say this is like a left-wing smear campaign. But from the responses I've seen, including like prominent leaders of well-known Jewish organizations, they're also denouncing Gorka and Chad. And this isn't just like some lefty smear campaign because he has these ties and they're real. And it's up to people to interpret how much weight they want to give to them compared to what he's doing and saying now. Do you, do you think that kids that are 16 or 17 years old um, are not uh, developed in, uh, enough intellectually to know the truth about this man and make up their own minds? I think they are. I also question whether all this, these past associations were presented to them when they went to see him. Can this not be a teaching moment where all the information is presented to them? I think it can be. Um, if, if anything, though, that's an argument for why Jews should care about this uh, is, is because if there wasn't this outrage, the kids might have just went. They would have seen Sebastian Gorka. They would have heard, oh, yeah, pro, pro uh, Israel and, and anti anti-Semitism. That's all good. OK. And then just go and it's just internalized and they and they forget or maybe they just remember, oh, yeah, Sebastian Gorka. I heard him one time talk about this. But now there be with, I mean, the, the, the very uh, point of, of the whole protest and outrage was to shed light on his past. And now that many more people know about his past. And I think that is the teaching moment. So if anything, that's a good argument for why Jews sh should need to worry about this. Um, exactly. Although my initial inclination was that, we sh was that, was that they shouldn't. So I think I kind of talked myself into, you know what? You know what? Jews should care about this because that's, it's the kind of thing, you know, people are very staunch. J Jews, uh, Jewish activists are very staunch about um, stomping out anti-Semitism. So you, you shine a light on it when it comes up and this isn't an instant of it but it's hey but it's saying hey this sebastian gorka guy maybe we shouldn't trust him entirely right he's he's trying to to do this opportunistic thing but let's remember you know let's still remember who he is and if you still like him you still want to listen to him fine but we're still going to bring it to your attention yeah i agree i don't begrudge the people who see him standing up for israel now and agree with his other political points which i think probably has a lot to do with how you feel about him uh, whether you believe he's anti-Semitic or not, just take into account what we know about him. And if you still choose to support him and listen to him, that's fine. And if you think that his past outweighs what he's doing now, that's also fine. I'm not the thought police here. Yeah, knowledge <laughs> is power, absolutely. Should Jews worry about Sebastian Gorka? Kind of. I don't know. Make up your own mind. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the CJN Podcast. 
Hey Alex, do you think that's a good name for a podcast? I definitely do not, no. No, it, we, we didn't even come up with a name. If anybody listening has a better name for this podcast, please let us know. Uh, we're open to any and all ideas. We'd be happy to hear from you. Please. Um, you can email me. I'm mframen at thecjn.ca. And I'm arose at thecjn.ca. And uh, let us know if you have any other thoughts about the podcast. We're always looking for feedback. Uh, you can find us now on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And still SoundCloud. And still SoundCloud. If you happen to listen to your podcast there, no judgment if you do. This episode was hosted by uh, me, Michael Freeman, and uh, Alex Rose over here. Hey there. And uh, I produced it and edited it. Uh, thanks so much to Ella Burkowski for joining us. She's the author of Hidden Gold, and you can also find her every month in the CJN uh, with her column, Ask Ella. Our intro music is by Vanya Zuk, and our outro music is by Lache Swing. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.